there is adultery. That's how God views this. You can't just write a certificate of divorce and say, hey, everything's fine. It's going to be all right. No, you are actually putting people in the position where they commit adultery, which of course is directly related to what he's been talking to them about. And it is pretty clear that there probably was numerous Pharisees sitting and listening to this message that had divorced their wives for any reason at all, had thought they were self-righteous because they gave them a certificate and were actually living in adultery or had committed adultery by entering into another marriage. He says, no, no, it is not for any reason at all. It is essentially for no reason, or really we will see for one reason. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 31 and 32, and then we'll be turning over to Matthew chapter 19, and I'll be reading from there. So Matthew chapter 5, as we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, and I suppose it's particularly appropriate, as we have celebrated Valentine's Day yesterday, that we would now be talking about marriage, although, albeit, Jesus definitely approaches this from, I guess, the negative side, or what we might consider to be the negative angle, and yet he has much of course, important to say and much that we need to hear this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 19. And I'll read verses 4 through 12. Beginning in verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born from... That way, from their mother's womb, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. There are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Who, uh, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Please be seated. Now in America, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. 
That's nearly 2,400 divorces per day, 16,800 divorces per week, and 876,000 divorces per year. Beneath the rubble of those numbing statistics lie the crushed lives of men and women and children. For every million divorces, there are two million adults and several more million children who are directly involved. None of them escapes the suffering and damage, no matter how amicable the divorce may be. Nearly every state has enacted no-fault divorce laws, making divorce almost as easy as marriage. It is not surprising that the largest caseloads in our civil courts today relate to family disputes. Divorce has indeed become a pandemic, to the point that hardly a person can be found who has not been affected by it either directly or indirectly. Many marriages, including a tragic number of Christian marriages, seem to be a little more, little more than a socially recognized battleground where warfare between the spouses is the rule and harmony is the exception. Now, I can attest to this reality. When I was three years old, my parents divorced, leaving my brother, who was three and a half years older than I, and myself to live with my mom as she struggled to support us and to make ends meet. So began a life of exposure to the consequences of divorce which, while relatively mild in relationship to many situations, and perhaps some in which you have been, nevertheless, it led to much heartache and difficulty, not the least of which was the wrestle to understand who my biological father was, why he would leave, why he wasn't interested in me, and how that related to the the man who was now married to my mom, my so-called stepdad. Suffice it to say that divorce added layers of emotional and mental baggage to be worked through in the midst of life, which is already difficult and presents lots of challenges. So what we will see this morning is that divorce, which is a reflection of the deeper issues really of maleness and femaleness in relation to God's plan of redemption, is an issue of monumental impact in the church. And if we are to properly reflect the character and nature of God to a dying world, we must understand what Jesus and through him the rest of the apostles have to say about this vital subject. God hates divorce, along with the adultery and the devastation that it brings. And only in the redemption provided in Christ do we find the necessary grace and wisdom to prevent the initiation of divorce and to overcome its difficulties. Again, God hates divorce, along with the adultery and devastation it brings. And only in the redemption provided in Christ do we find the necessary grace and wisdom to prevent the initiation of divorce and to overcome its difficulties. Perhaps to simplify that just a bit, God hates divorce and so makes provision for strong marriages. Now, in our passage this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus abruptly moves to a new topic. We've been discussing the topic of adultery, and then without really any introduction at all, he immediately moves to another topic, and that is divorce, simply saying, it was said. And yet this topic is related, related excuse me, directly to his previous teaching, Jesus has been dealing with the nature of adultery, and he moves on to divorce because in nearly every case, divorce brings about the sin of adultery. In the bigger picture here, Jesus is about to demonstrate that the self-righteous Pharisees who claim to have kept the entire law had not only broken the seventh commandment by committing adultery in their hearts, but also by divorcing their wives and marrying new ones, which was a common practice among the religious leaders of that day. So in his common pattern, Jesus first takes the Pharisees' teaching on divorce and then brings the proper biblical corrective through his own teaching on the matter. So let's see what the Pharisees had to say, or really what the body of the the teaching of the religious leaders of the day, which really had been passed down throughout the the centuries from the time that the, the law had been given, let's see what they had to say. So first, 
the Pharisees' teaching on divorce. And in order to do this, we're certainly going to have to broaden out a bit because Jesus is very terse in Matthew chapter 5. He simply gives two verses and doesn't expand at all upon what he's saying. He expands much more in Matthew chapter 19. And then, of course, the Bible and, and, and the other uh, epistles or other epistles have much to say about this. So really, we're going to be taking this somewhat topically, even though we're, we're directing it through an expository uh, discussion of these two verses. So just very simply, what, is said, what Jesus says here in verse 31, it was said. That's similar to what he had what already said. You have heard that it was said, it is written, all of those things. Right? And, and essentially, again, he is saying, the, this is the body, this is the tradition of teaching that has been passed down to you through your religious leaders. Essentially, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. So it was said, it has been declared, it has been taught to you. And, and the first, first thing he's dealing with here is the permissibility of divorce. It has, or it was said, whoever sends his wife away. Now, the word there, sends his wife away, is, is a general word. It means to lose, to set free, to release. But in, in context here, and, and in a specialized context in other places in the New Testament, it means to divorce. That's, that's very clear. So the issue here is not some kind of separation. It's not betrothal and then a separation before marriage. He's dealing with the issue of marriage and divorce. And this word here, essentially, whoever divorces his wife, that's the idea. So he's going to deal with the, with the way the Pharisees looked at the permissibility of divorce first. Right, so in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, go ahead and turn there if you, if you aren't already there, if you had moved back to Matthew chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus really is dealing with uh, a question from the Pharisees, and this is essentially, seems to be the same question he's dealing with in Matthew chapter 5. Some Pharisees, verse 3 of Matthew 19, came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? That was essentially their view of the permissibility of divorce. So in Matthew chapter 5, when he's dealing with this, he's dealing with this common view. Essentially, you can divorce your wife for any reason at all. Right? There were several different schools of understanding about exactly what you, what you could divorce a wife for, but well, the one that had won out was essentially really for anything. Craig Blomberg, who wrote in the, the New American Commentary, he says this, their questions reflect the intra-Pharisaic debate between the schools of Shammai and Hillel concerning the correct interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, which we'll look at in just a moment. In that passage, God apparently permitted divorce for anything indecent, and Shammai, placing the emphasis on indecent, took this to refer to sexual unfaithfulness. Hillel, placing the emphasis on anything, allowed divorce even for as trivial an offense as a wife burning her husband's food. And that, of course, was the tack that most of the religious leaders had taken. And moving away from the, the more narrow interpretation, of course, to the broader one, and that's always how divorce laws work. It moves from the narrow and then extends its way out. And so by the time of Jesus, essentially, the religious leaders were, were, were looking at, at marriage as something that they just put on as merely their pleasure. And any time then that the wives didn't please them, they would write them the certificate of divorce, which they pointed to the Bible saying, look, I can do this. And they would simply send them away and marry someone else. Deuteronomy 24.1 says this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, there's the word they were, they were arguing over, some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her from the house. So essentially, the, the prevailing view on divorce was that it could be for pretty much anything at all, anything that the husband considered indecent from sexual unfaithfulness, essentially all the way down to the way that her, his food was prepared, the way that she responded to him when he returned home, any of those things. 
Now, the conditions for divorce, and those are mentioned in Deuteronomy 24.1 and also seem to be the primary issue of debate in Matthew chapter 19 as well, right? What Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he speaks of, of the idea of a certificate of divorce, all right? So what they were teaching was it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And here was their focus, Right? The sending her away was almost assumed. Yeah, he can send her away for pretty much anything he wants. He just has to be very careful that he covers his legal basis. He's got to make sure that the certificate of divorce gets written. That's the most important thing. So we're going to battle back and forth on the legality of that. And in Matthew chapter 19, again, Jesus is dealing with the same thing. Right? right after they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? He moves back to the idea that marriage is meant to be permanent. They brush that away. So, you know, he tells them, have you not read that he who created them from beginning made them male and female? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus makes a very strong statement about the permanency of marriage. They brush that away entirely. In verse 7, they said to him, why then? Did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Who cares what God designed in the beginning? Moses said that there could be a certificate of divorce. What about that? And doesn't that mean, therefore, that we can divorce, essentially, for any reason at all, as long as we have a certificate of divorce? That seems to be the primary issue. Divorce, according to R.T. France, consisted of the provision of a certificate which explicitly granted or explicitly stated that there had been a separation from or a break from the original spouse and also explicitly granted the right to remarry. Essentially, the last words on the divorce certificate were, you are free to marry any man. Without that permission, it wasn't a divorce. So divorce and the right to remarry were essentially inseparable. The Jewish world knew nothing of a legal separation that did not allow remarriage. So the divorce certificate was to say, you are no longer legally attached to this particular man, and therefore you are free to marry someone else. And they, of course, the religious leaders had focused upon this so that they might pursue their own desire. They might pursue divorcing their wives and marrying others, simply taking care of the legal requirement. Go ahead and turn for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Because now we're going to begin to discuss what, what really was Moses saying. Jesus is going to address that. Right? Why did Moses say that? Because certainly he did. They weren't making that up. And in Mark, Jesus refers to it essentially as, as a command. So let's look at Deuteronomy. And try to understand a bit more what was going on there. Deuteronomy chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And you can remember, they were focusing mostly on she finds no favor in his eyes. Right? And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and, and sends it, her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So the issue in Matthew or in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the focus is not so much on the certificate of divorce, although that is there. The whole issue is that the certificate of divorce is being given so that there's an understanding, a legal understanding of what is right and good for the woman to do 
right, in, in, in the rest of her life. So, for example, she receives that certificate. She marries someone else. She technically has the legal right to do that. And yet, right, if her husband dies or that next husband dies or divorces her, the, the whole issue of the certificate of divorce was she can't go back to the original husband because it seems to be implied in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that the second marriage was inappropriate. That was adultery that happened there. And so to then go back and, and, and go back to her first husband simply compounds the sin, and therefore the certificate of divorce was largely for the protection of the woman, for, the, for keeping of this kind of defilement where they would just be swapping wives all around, moving back in a circle, and then taking back the same wife that they had originally had. The focus then, again, is, is not so much on the certificate of divorce itself, but, on, but once this sin has happened, once the sin of divorce has taken place, trying to protect from the other sins which will arise from it. Right? And essentially, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. He says, look, Moses enabled you or, or gave you this permission because of your hardness of heart, because, people, because, they are, because they were divorcing, because people do abandon their marriages. And so what Moses did ultimately was to, was to keep or, or enable a, a law which kept more, of the, more harm from happening than what happened before. So this idea of a certificate of divorce then certainly is mentioned by Moses. It is permitted by him and, and ultimately then by God because Moses was writing. It is written down in, uh, it is placed in our inspired scripture and is there as part of the law. So certainly that was something that Moses had done. The Pharisees misunderstood why it had been done, but Jesus, Jesus says, yes, it's there, but it's there by permission and not because divorce or the certificate of divorce is a good thing. However, again, we need to see in Scripture that God himself uses this language of a certificate of divorce. And we will see that there is at least one, there are two times where this kind of certificate is appropriate. Right? So it is not that the certificate itself or the idea of laws about divorce are in and of themselves inherently wrong. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus or God is speaking in relationship to his uh, to his relationship with, with the nation of Israel, and particularly with the uh, northern kingdoms, the ten tribes who had gone away into captivity. In Jeremiah 3, 8, he says this, And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet your treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. So essentially what Jeremiah is saying there, what, what God is saying is because of her immoralities, ultimately I did use a certificate of divorce as it were. And again, in this case, obviously metaphorically, God didn't actually write it out, but I used it against faithless Israel, the 10 tribes. That's why they were sent away into captivity. And he's saying, you Judah saw that that happened, the Southern tribes, and yet you're continuing on in your sin. And Isaiah 50, 50 verse 1, thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and your transgressions, for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. What he's saying there is essentially the opposite. I haven't yet written you that certificate of divorce because of your immorality. I, I am waiting. Your own sins are causing these problems. And yet this language of a certificate of divorce is used by God himself. Back in Matthew 19, and again, why is, why is this allowed? Verse 8, Matthew 19, 8. I know we're kind of switching between Deuteronomy, Matthew 5, and Matthew 19. So I'll give you a second. In Matthew 19, he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted this. So Jesus does not deny that God regulates divorce with a certificate, but clearly teaches that this is an accommodation to the sinful heart of man, not a positive desire on the part of God to condone divorce. Hey, divorce is fine. Well, let's go ahead and, and write certificates for, certificates for it, and that will make it okay. 
because men will find a way to dissolve their marriages, God in his grace and wisdom provides a means of protection against further harm and defilement. And of course, one could well argue that by making allowance for the certificate of divorce, then sinful men will abuse this to to validate their ever-increasing boldness in pursuing that divorce. And that's exactly what men did. However, it seems that God's desire to alleviate the pain and difficulty of divorce in some measure, especially to the women who were primarily the victims of this kind of divorce, that superseded the abuse of this particular command. And this is especially true because men were abusing marriage without the divorce certificate in the first place. It isn't like that being enacted in the law and Moses writing that in under God's inspiration somehow caused men to start getting divorced. It simply began to help mitigate against the great uh, harm that was done, again, particularly to the women when the men were, were not making this legal. They didn't have to have any kind of legal certificate, and so they could treat the women with whatever on whatever whim they desired. So... Essentially, what Jesus is saying is the certificate of divorce is legal. It is allowed in the law. And again, in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus deals with this again, it says, some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? So in, in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is talking, he actually points them back to Moses. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said, because of the hardness of heart, your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. And so Jesus is affirming the nature that this is a real command. He's affirming that it was written because of hardness of heart. That is the the pursuit of the people of their own sinfulness when it came to divorce. They were going to do this, and they did because of their sinfulness. And so therefore, it was allowed to be written so that there could be protection, not so that the idea of divorce could be sanctioned. That is not God's, it never was God's intent. Well, now what is Jesus' teaching on divorce? So he takes on the Pharisees. He says, essentially, both in in Matthew chapter 5 in seed form and in Matthew chapter 19 in in a fuller discussion, he says, you can't divorce for any reason at all. In fact, you're not supposed to divorce at all. It has been from the beginning that you are to be one flesh and that that one flesh union is never to be broken. And the whole idea of the certificate of divorce is not, well, let's make it legal. And that's what's important. The certificate of divorce is because you have hard hearts, because you have this whole culture of divorce and you will not be faithful to your wives. And then you harm them in a thousand other ways by swapping them around and giving them no protection whatsoever. You are abusing the entire institution of marriage. So the certificate of divorce is not validating divorce. It is really validating or, 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 or discussing the nature of, lending to the nature of the evil human heart. So now, what is Jesus' teaching? Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. So he contrasts verse 31. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. All right, Essentially, for any reason, and the certificate of divorce is what is important. That's the Pharisees' teaching. Jesus in verse 32 says, but I say to you, again, now Jesus is going to correct their erroneous understanding. He's not adding to the Bible. He's not changing the meaning of God's God's, uh, commands about divorce in the Old Testament. He's simply bringing the proper corrective to it that the Pharisees had abused and had misunderstood. So Jesus says, under the permissibility of divorce, right? I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Essentially, he's going to say that divorce is not permissible. Now, we'll look at 
what are, are sometimes called the exception clauses or clause here. But the bottom line of Jesus' teaching is you're saying it's permissible for any reason at all. I'm telling you that the original purpose was that it never be enacted. There be no divorce. And that is why the consequence is that when there is divorce and remarriage, there is adultery. That's how God views this. You can't just write a certificate of divorce and say, hey, everything's fine. It's going to be all right. No, you are actually putting people in the position where they commit adultery, which of course is directly related to what he's been talking to them about. And it is pretty clear that there probably was numerous Pharisees sitting and listening to this message that had divorced their wives for any reason at all, had thought they were self-righteous because they gave them a certificate and were actually living in adultery or had committed adultery by entering into another marriage. He says, no, no, it is not for any reason at all. It is essentially for no reason, or really we will see for one reason only. Paul adds to that another reason that you may enter in, that there may ever be any certificate of divorce at all. And really this morning, I'm focusing on the permanency of marriage, not the exceptions to that, not the time when it is appropriate to write a certificate of divorce, which of course always has to do with sin. It's never God's original plan. And I'm going to be focusing, as Jesus did, on the permanency of marriage. And we'll stay mostly in Matthew 19 at this point. Right? The permissibility of divorce is essentially, again, never. He says, have you not read, back in chapter 4 again, I'll read it again, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And by the way, as I, as I mentioned in the opening, the, the issue of divorce and remarriage and all of these things, and marriage itself, has to do with the whole issue of maleness and femaleness and who we are before, before a holy God and our relationship to one another and how God sanctions that union, how he puts it together. So there's much more going on here. I, I'm not going to spend the time to do all of that this morning. I'll give one more plug. It probably won't be the last one for the biblical manhood and womanhood sessions that I'll be doing on Wednesday night because we'll begin in Genesis chapter one and work our way through the Bible on what it means to be male, what it means to be female. Why did God institute marriage at all? What are the roles in marriage? How do those things work together? How do we live as men and live as women? Because that's all bound up here. We're just dealing essentially with the breakup of a marriage here. That's all, that's all Jesus is doing right now. So we'll deal mostly with that, but you've got to understand that there's a ton of other issues involved here, and we'll just be touching on them. The whole idea that marriage is permanent is because this is the way that God meant for men and women to interact, the primary way in which they would interact with one another, and he made that permanent because he created them in such a way that they were designed for the union to be permanent. This is, of course, what we've already discussed in the nature of adultery. There's not to be another uh, person with whom you enter into physical intimacy because you were designed for one person, one spouse for all of your life, and that only. So he says to them, he created them male and female. Don't, don't you remember that? And in the nature of their maleness and femaleness, he said, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God instituted marriage. That is the way that men and women are to are to interact, and the one flesh union is not to be broken. That's how he designed it. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He just keeps emphasizing this. Don't you understand this? You can't break this up. It's not supposed to be then one flesh with one woman, then one flesh with another, and another, and another. It is to be one woman or one spouse for all of your life. God himself joined them together. Let no man separate them. Of course, we say this at every marriage, or it is said at most Christian marriages these days. And yet what is happening? The, the Pharisees are saying, we can separate that anytime we want. We'll decide when we're going to separate it. We'll decide how to separate it. We'll decide what we're going to do. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. It's not up to you. Let no man separate what God has joined together. And that's what is done 
not only in the physical union of a man and a woman, but very clearly as we look in Scripture, through the covenant made by the man to the woman and the woman to the man and before God in the marriage ceremony, as it were. And in Genesis chapter 3, you have the first marriage ceremony, for lack of better terms. Jesus himself institutes it, or excuse me, God institutes it. Moses writes about it by saying, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. Adam and Eve didn't have a father or mother. And yet he institutes marriage there. He speaks of it there as this commitment, this covenant that is made, as well as the one flesh union, which is to be designed, is designed for permanency. So the permissibility of divorce is zero, essentially, right? except for the fact that there is that, that men and women are sinful. And again, God will provide, and Jesus will provide one exception here. But the bottom line is this: God hates divorce. The permissibility of divorce, right? Again, it's something that, that we, you never enter into marriage considering, and God did not design marriage with, with, with that in his mind, that there would be divorce, because he hates it. That's on your outline as well. So Jesus' teaching on divorce, the permissibility of divorce, is that God hates divorce. And now go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 2. It's a familiar passage to some of you. Malachi 2. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what Jesus has to, or what God has to say about the rampant divorce which was going on in the Old Testament. And really, remember, this has been, divorce has been rampant ever since marriage was created, unfortunately, because man is sinful. Malachi chapter 2, at the end of the Old Testament, after Israel has been sent away into captivity and brought back, and God has demonstrated his goodness to them over and over, his covenant faithfulness to them, they are still involved in the violation of the marriage covenant. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. So they were bringing offerings to the Lord. He wasn't regarding that. They were going, why aren't you? They're crying out to the Lord in these kind of uh, these crocodile tears. And, why are, why, and with groaning, he says, why aren't you accepting us? Why aren't you responding to our sacrifices? Look how much we honor you. Look how we are serving you and worshiping you. You say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel." And him who covers his garment with wrongs is the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Why does God hate divorce? Now, this is a notoriously difficult text in the Hebrew. And the, the translation you have here is the, is, is the translator's best attempt at a very, very difficult underlying Hebrew text. In fact, some of which is, is missing. So they're trying to get it to the best you can. But I don't want to deal with all those difficulties. I simply want to draw out, and you'll have to write these somewhere underneath, God hates divorce. Why from this text God hates divorce so much? And then add a few that we see in the rest of the Bible. God hates divorce because it is treachery. Right? It is lying deceitfulness in the form of, of breaking relationship and breaking covenant. Right? He says here, you have broken covenant with whom? With your companion, with the wife of your youth, the one whom you pledged to, the one who, is your, who, who you said would be your friend forever, who would be your companion forever. You pledged this in marriage, and now you have broken that covenant commitment that you made, which again indicates, reveals to us the nature of marriage as a covenant, a promise, not simply a physical union. That's very important to understand. 
Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.